Hello, I'm Devin Moore. I'm a Humanity Rising Ambassador and the founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. Humanity Rising is a student-led service movement with a passion to build the next generation of heart-centered leaders and social innovators. We help youth become their best selves through service, becoming upstanders to end bullying, which is our signature cause, and become a part of something greater than themselves through spiritual empowerment. Welcome to the Creating World Peace Through Unity Humanity Rising Voices podcast series with our host, Steve Sarowitz. We're happy to have you all here today. Joining Steve is Mohammed Al-Samawi. Mohammed is an interfaith activist, a refugee from Yemen, and author of The Fox Hunt, a refugee's memoir of coming to America which shares the moving story of love, war, and hope. There will be time for Q&A, and now I will turn it over to Steve to begin. I'm honored tonight to have my very good friend, Mohammed with me. Mohammed, uh, you, most people uh, don't have such a difficult time getting to America as you did, correct? True. In fact, Mohammed's journey to America was so difficult that Steven Spielberg is actually making a movie about it, and you wrote a best-selling book about it, right? Called the Fox. Thank Hunt. you. Mark Platt uh, is the making the movie. I'm also Steven Spielberg's company employee is making the movie too, yes. So you started out, and I really want to talk about your journey. One of the things I believe we've learned from 2020 is that we need unity, that we need people to stop with all the barriers between us, that instead of people hating each other because of a different religion or a different race or a different country, uh, it might be better if we all got along. And, and we've seen the results of disunity so often in 2020, but 2021 is a different year. So hopefully 2021, we can learn from 2020. Tell me about how you grew up when you, when you were young. Uh, what was your attitude towards Jewish people? Sure. So I, I want to say first that I'm extremely happy to speak with you guys, especially with you, Steve. You are an amazing human being and the first time I met you in my life, you actually invited me to sleep in your home. I know it's a little bit weird, but this is actually what happened. And I had an amazing time with you. And I remember when I asked you actually, like how I will know you, even though I never met you in my life, when I arrived to Chicago and you told me, well, I'm a very tall man and I think you will recognize me. And that's exactly how I recognized you because you're so tall. Um, to tell you a little bit about my background and a little bit about how I've been raised in, in Yemen. <clears throat> First of all, Yemen is a very beautiful country. If you don't know anything about Yemen, Yemen is in the Middle East. It's actually in the south of Saudi Arabia. And in Yemen, people love to drink coffee. Actually, one of the famous things about Yemen is coffee. And also people love to play sports, including soccer. This is like the most famous sport in Yemen. But the bad thing about my country which is unfortunately, I also discovered that it already exists also in the United States, not in a big scale, but still exists, is ignorance and people who actually believe in conspiracy theory. And that's exactly what I was facing back in Yemen. You see, I'm actually right now speaking to you guys while I am in Washington, DC. And what happened in the capital actually made me very in shock because this is exactly what happened in Yemen in 2015. A group of extreme groups called Houthis, they entered the parliament of Yemen. And you know what they did, Steve? 
they start taking photos of themselves while they are entering the parliament of Yemen. And move forward, I am in Washington DC in 2021, and I see all these things happen again, but instead of being Houthis, it's actually people from the United States, which I never thought that I would see it. Now, why this happened is actually because believing conspiracy theory. Back in Yemen, I, I'm so lucky that I have an amazing parents. Both of my parents are medical doctors. Actually, my whole family are medical doctors. I am the only one who is not a doctor from my family because I have small disability. My disability is in the right side of my body, in my hand and my leg. But my dad and my mom was always see me crying, complaining to say, why God choose me to have such disability? Why me? But they told me something nice. They told me, Muhammad, God choose you to have disability because you are unique. In the future, you will understand why God gave you such disability. And I was always struggling with that. I thank God for your disability because I would have never met you if you didn't have your disability. You'd still be in Yemen. You probably wouldn't be the, the loving soul. You know, you might be, you know, you might be, you know, so you were taught at a very young age to hate Jewish people, right? Exactly. So that, that's what I want to say is that in a school from a very young age, I've been taught that Jews hate us. And I've been taught that Jews want to kill us. And I really believed on it. I really believe that Jews, they don't like Muslims. Jews, they want to kill Muslims everywhere. And that was my feeling always, is that Jews are horrible people who hate us for no reason. And that was always struggling inside me. Now, all these things changed my life a lot. Because of my disability, I was always trying to challenge myself. Challenge myself mostly because I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid. And I was always wanted to, to show the other kids that even if I have a disability, I can do things that they can do. So my friends actually became American movies and it became American songs. And that's actually how I started learning English. And moving forward, I was always trying to speak with my friends about my skills in English or even speaks about politics a little bit, even though that I don't understand anything about politics, but I just wanted to show them that my disability is not something that will stop me to be creative. When I was 23 years old, I met a Christian teacher in Yemen, his name Luke. And Luke changed my life a lot. So you gave Luke a Quran and he gave you a Bible, right? Absolutely, but why did I give him Quran? I gave him Quran because I became friend with Luke. And one day he told me he's leaving Yemen, he will go back to England. And all that I was thinking about, I need to give Luke, my friend, a gift. So when he go back to his country, he will remember me. The question is what kind of gift I need to give it to him. So I start searching about gifts, what I can bring to him. And then I realized something, Luke is not Muslim. And back in school, I've been told that if you are not Muslim, you will go to hell. Even if you are a good person, but if you don't believe in the prophet Muhammad, you will go to hell. And that was my gift to Luke. I decided that I want to convert him to Islam because if I convert him to Islam, I would save his soul from hell to heaven. And that's the biggest gift you can give it to anyone. I went to him, I gave him a copy of the Quran in English and he gave me a copy of the Bible. And I went running home and he told me, promised me if I will take your gift, the Quran, you will also take my gift, the Bible and you will read it. And I said, sure. 
I went back home and I started reading the Bible from the beginning. Now, nobody teached me at back, back then that the Bible has Old Testament, New Testament. Nobody taught me that if I start reading the Bible from the beginning, I'm actually reading the Old Testament. I'm actually reading the Torah. And only I was thinking that I'm only reading the Christian Bible. So from the first page, I start trying to find difficult questions for Luke to ask him. So he can say like, oh, actually Muhammad is right. This is hard for me to understand and Quran is much easier. So I will convert to Islam. But what had been is just amazing because when I called him and he told me, actually, Muhammad, you're reading the Jewish book. All this kind of like conspiracy theory and kind of like hate that I was being taught came back again to me. And I said to myself, why Jews will hate us so much if they have such wonderful book? So I started reading the Torah, but I started reading the Torah mostly because I want to understand why there's such hate. And that's the moment that changed my life. It was wonderful. So now you, you have this moment and you realize that, wait a second, the Jews aren't what I expected they would be. And some of them are actually really tall, by the way, not very many, <laughs> but um, so, so you, you'd have to search for the Jews, but you can't find any in Yemen, right? So the reason why I was searching for Jews is that I was having fights inside me. Here I'm writing the Torah, I'm reading the Torah, and it's an amazing book. It's similar to Quran, my holy book. But still, I've been told they, are, they, they hate us. They want to kill us. So I wanted to understand from the Jews themselves, why do you hate us if you have such amazing book? And it's the same message as Quran. So I start searching for Jews in Yemen. In Sana'a, it was extremely difficult to find Jews. And you need to understand the history of Jews in Yemen. Jews has been persecuted in a lot of years in Yemen. They can't live as a Jew in Yemen anymore. They need to hide their identities. And when I was trying to reach out to them, it scared them. It scared them to speak with someone with my name. So what happened is I tried to find Jews. I couldn't find it in Sana'a, but I found something else. I found something called Facebook. And it was my first time to use Facebook. And my main reason of using Facebook was I want to find Jews. The question is how you can find Jews on Facebook. So what I did, I went to Facebook and started writing the word Israel, because that's what I was thinking, that if I want to find the Jews, I will find them in Israel. So I started search, searching for Jews and you need to excuse me because I couldn't, I didn't know at that time how to use Facebook at all. So I started searching for Jews and I didn't know what to do. So I started adding them as friends. But you can imagine, actually, nobody accepts my request, right? It's like the Nigerian prince, when, you, when they ask you for like a million dollars or something like that, I was doing the same thing. But I realized that I was using Facebook in the wrong way. I can't just send friend requests. I need to introduce myself. So I started sending kind of like a, a typical message. I was copy based the same message to everyone that I meet in Facebook. And my message was like this. Dear blah, blah, blah. I hope you're doing well. My name is Mohammed. I know that you're Jew. I know that you live in Israel. What do you think of Muslims? What do you think of Yemenis? You're sincerely Mohammed. And you can imagine with such a message, not a lot of people also respond. But I was lucky because few of them responded. And one of the people who responded named Nimrud, who at that time was living in Tel Aviv. And he opened my imagination and my heart to a new thing that I never thought it would happen. 
He introduced me to his friends. He introduced me to peace activists from all over the world, from Palestine, Israel, from Egypt, Sudan, United States, Europe. And at that moment, I was for the first time in a group on Facebook speaking about peace and speak about interfaith. And for the first time in my life, I started realizing that's why God gave me such a disability. You see, because of my disability, actually, I learned how to speak English. And because I learned how to speak English, I was able actually to meet Luke, read the Bible, and eventually using Facebook. So everything was connected. Imagine now if I didn't have a disability. I wouldn't do the same thing. I would be different totally. So sometimes God actually gave us hard things in our life and we start complaining, why me, God? But we should realize that maybe this hard thing will bring something so sweet and honey for our lives. And that's what happened with my disability. My calamity is my providence. Outwardly, it is fire and vengeance, but inwardly, it is light and mercy. One of my favorite quotes from the Baha'i writings. And that's really, you know, if we go back to 2020, that's how we might look at 2020. There's been a lot of terrible things and it's very unfortunate, but what can we learn from these terrible things? And so how can this calamity become a providence? So for sure. you, um, you put together, and actually uh, we can talk about that because I'm a funder of it, Abrahamic House. So you made it, you know, and, and by the way, uh, we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about Muhammad's book, but I wanna talk about his new project. Let me just tell you about his book. It's a thrill a minute. Uh, it's an amazing book, The Fox Hunt. And if you haven't read it, you should read it. And he, it was really a thrilling escape from Yemen. But I want to talk about what you're doing now. And since I'm a little bit of a part of it, especially the Abrahamic House. And, and tell me about what, what your inspiration was for starting it and, and how that might address some of the problems we're facing. So the, when I came to United States, as you know, Steve, I came to United States with no language at all. I came with no money. I came because there's four Americans. They barely know me, helped me to be evacuated from Yemen, and they helped me to be in the United States. I didn't know what I would do in my life. I didn't know anything what could happen to me. But I started realizing that the more that I stay in the United States, the more that I feel I am myself. I can be the biggest activist who I want. I can speak about interfaith without being afraid that Al-Qaeda or Houthis will kill me. And I start enjoying that a lot. I start telling about my story. I start speaking about interfaith more and more. But unfortunately, not everything is white and black. Not everything is just the same. In, uh, in the United States, I had some bad things happen to me. I was with an Uber driver who she kicked me out from her car just because my name is Mohammed and the way how I look like, just because who am I? And that's in the United States. I spoke in universities where some students came and tried to even uh, not listening to the interfaith message that I'm trying to bring. And people are angry and there's ignorance a lot about how we need to be united. And that's why I realized that we, I need to do something. I need to make an action. Not only a book will help that, not only speaking engagements. So what happened in, for me, I was speaking for a Jewish organization called Moshe House. I was actually the first Muhammad to speak at Moshe Houses. Moshe House is houses around the United States where they do Shabbat, Shabbat events and they do events for the Jewish community. And I went there to speak. And the idea of Moshe House is to have 
four or more young Jewish people to live together. And from my perspective, I thought that's an amazing idea. But what if, what if you have houses around the United States and instead of having people from one faith live together, you let people from different faiths to live together. So I created the Abrahamic house where we pay the rent for the people who stay in the house. It's a fellowship. Anyone can apply for the fellowship within the United States. And they can, when they apply and they, if they had been selected, they can stay in the house, free rent. They can go to university. They can go to their work. But in the end, they need to do events about interfaith. And they need to do events about knowing about each other. Because in the end, the whole message of Abrahamic house is gathering, not othering. Because we live now, unfortunately, in a, in a time where everyone's trying to othering the others. And that's very, very bad. Because if you really read the messages of all the prophets, you'll see all the messages of the prophet is the same. It's about love, it's about peace. And I really want just to say, I really want to thank you, Steve, because you are one of the first people when I told them about the Abrahamic house, just an idea. Even though you didn't know me that well, even you just know me from the book, you really believed on this project. And look at it right now, it's making it, make it happen. So what's interesting is you, you do this beautiful project and God throws you a curveball right away, right? You think you're ready to hit and God throws you, this is a baseball term. So how well do you know baseball? <laughs> I, not well. Okay, so a curveball, you're expecting the ball to go straight, but it curves. So tell me about the curveball that God threw to you right when you started the Abrahamic house. So you get your, your, your four associates in there and you, and you. So we had, we had a house in Los Angeles, which was four wonderful fellows to stay in one house in Los Angeles. And as soon as they just moved to the house, COVID-19 happened. So the idea, the whole idea of Abrahamic house is that they stay in the house and they invite their communities inside the house and to do events. But because of COVID-19, they couldn't host anyone. This big house in Los Angeles was just for the four people to stay together. And from that perspective, I was thinking, this is a very hard situation for Abrahamic house, especially that it's the first year. But you know, sometimes as I told you before, from the hard times, there's beautiful things come. And that's what happened with Abrahamic house. Because of COVID-19, we were not able to do any events inside the house. So did, we did all the events in Zoom. And guess what? We were able to reach more than a thousand people outside of the house. We were able to reach people from Saudi Arabia. We were able to reach people from Turkey, from Israel, from Palestine, from places that the Abrahamic house wouldn't do it if we didn't do it in Zoom. So that's the likely thing about it. And I'm so proud of the fellows. I'm so proud about how the way they been handling the COVID-19 situation how when they come, they wanted to learn and they know that they are not imam, they are not priests, they're not rabbis, they need to learn everything in, inside the house. And they had to believe that I need to respect the other side. And that when they start realizing that, they have been realizing something from other people that's not truth about other faiths. And they, they tried to change that. And I'm so proud of them. What, um... What do you think was the biggest thing they learned from this year of, of being? What did they tell you was the biggest thing they took away from it? They really wanted to, to understand more that interfaith can be the, the solve 
the key of our problems right now in the United States. If we actually gather together, if we listen about each other, if we respect each other and learn about each other, we can really live in harmony and peace. And to be honest with you, like right now, what we see right now about speaking against religious, speaking against people from the Muslim world, speaking about people from you know, different colors and different backgrounds, this actually came because a lot of people are living in small circles. They've never been attracted actually or speaking with refugees. They haven't even met someone from Yemen for God's sake. If you tell them where is Yemen, they will think that Yemen is a city in the United States. The question is how we, need, how we can change that. And interfaith is a key for this. And once you created something like Abrahamic House or other interfaith, like I know you see that you're doing an amazing interfaith event. And these events, you can reach people from a lot of places that they never meet anyone from like uh, Yemen or anywhere else. So it's great. And I think it goes beyond interfaith, although religion is very big. You know, I, I was actually just talking to someone on Facebook who said religion is all bad. You know, religion is all bad. We need to get rid of it. It's outdated. It, you know, it's 2000 years old and, it's, and it was outdated a long time ago. Now, you know, me as a Baha'i, I believe religion has been renewed by Baha'u'llah for this age. But I don't think that other religions are bad. I think that all religion is really one. People get hung up on their religion being right and the others are wrong. And as a Baha'i, I don't think I'm right as a Baha'i and Muslims are wrong or, or Christians are wrong. We're all right. You know, if you love Jesus and you're a Christian, that's great. If you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, if you're a Muslim walking in the footsteps of Muhammad, um, I have a Muslim business partner uh, and who I work very closely with. I have a couple actually. And, you know, I have a Christian wife and I have Jewish children and I, I have friends of all sorts of faiths. And to me, it's the heart of a person that matters, but we don't get that unless we really get inside their house. And the same thing goes for race as well. You have to get inside people's houses. You have to eat dinner with them. You have to really get to know them and be their friend. And, and as you start becoming people's friends, you realize all these things that we thought were so different about us fade away. You know, you know what's beautiful about, about our friendship, Steve, is that we are, we are from different backgrounds. We have different stories. We have different even beliefs and we have different thoughts. And that's what makes the life beautiful. Can you imagine if all the people was from the same thing, if all the people from the same race, from the same faith, how the life will goes on. But when you, I am from a different background, you are from a different background and we know, we, we know about each other and we respect each other. Believe me, there is an amazing taste about life there. For me, interfaith became the meaning of my life because I know whenever I speak about interfaith, I learn new things. I remember when I met you actually for the first time and you started telling me about Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha. It's just an amazing thing that I was saying like, people need to know about this because back in my country, actually, some people say about the Baha'i faith is actually a cult. It's not even a faith. And that's where it's very important, really, to respect that we are different. We need to celebrate our differences, but we also need to listen to each other and we need to respect each other. My dad for years thought the Baha'i faith was a cult. Um, he was very mad at me for leaving Judaism. He said that we lost 19 members of my family in the Holocaust and it was really bad that I left the faith. And I said, well, dad, I really didn't leave Judaism. I just accepted Baha'u'llah. And I said, it's not a cult. He says, but they're gonna take all your money. And I said, well, I wish they would, but they won't. They, I keep giving, trying to give them money, but they turn it down. <clears throat> they literally have told me on a couple of occasions, 
to give less money than I wanted to give. The, they never, ever asked me for money. It's all, but, all the giving in the, in the Baha'i faith is voluntary. But Steve, like, we agree that your, your dad is a beautiful soul and mm-hmm. an, yes. amazing, an amazing human being. But yes. the reason why, why he told you that is, doesn't come at you from Judaism. Judaism is one of the most beautiful faiths at all in every. But you know what? He's come around and he, and he called me a few months ago and he said, you know, he called me crying. He said, you know, I was all wrong about your belief. Your belief has made you a better person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were always getting along. He just didn't like the faith. But now he's really a fan of the Baha'i faith. And so he's gone from being one of my biggest opponents to realizing that this is a good faith. And, and he actually had me do a presentation to his interfaith group uh, just a, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that's so, so that's so beautiful. But like from my experience, even my dad is actually didn't support my interfaith work at all. Actually, my dad was not allowing me to uh, have friends from Jews or Muslims, uh, or sorry, or Christians or anyone who's different than us. But that doesn't mean that my dad is a bad person. I know that he's a wonderful human being. He's a doctor for God's sake. He had a good education. He studied in Russia. But in the end, he has been giving the wrong information. And what's our duty? Our duty is not just trying to change them, but give them facts, give them hope and give them door that they can see the light from. And then pray for them that they would see the right thing about it. Is he proud of your movie, Muhammad? My dad um, is having uh, up and down. You can say our relationship is up and down, but definitely the last year was a very hard year for him, for all my family, honestly, not only because of COVID-19, but the war in Yemen. Steve, the war in Yemen is just really in a bad situation. And my family, are missing me. They're missing their son. And from their perspective that I am far away from them and they need me to be there. So it's hard for them a little bit. I pray that your dad can fully appreciate how beautiful you are. Like, you mean, because you know- He is, he is. He, he, really, he really inside him, I really believe that he, he's so proud of me. But also in the same time, I hope that, I haven't seen my dad now for six years. And I miss my dad so much. I miss him a lot. Without him, actually, I wouldn't be the person also who I am. Like, remember sure. that from, from my disability, he's the one who taught me that you need to find the reason why God gave you disability. He is the one who raised inside me that I shouldn't just believe anything that I've been taught in school. Can you imagine if I really just believed in anything what I've been taught in a school? I wouldn't be an interfaith activist. I wouldn't start reading even the Bible. I wouldn't start even communicating with Jews and Christians and Baha'is and people from different faiths. Would your family be able to come see the movie when it comes out? When is the movie due out? Someone asked me that. When is the movie due out? <laughs> so, as you know, like you, you work also in the movie industry. Yes. With, with, with COVID-19 situation, everything became down up and like nobody knows exactly how the industry will work. But I can tell you the, 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 the next. Um, the movie, we finished the script. The movie is produced by Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg company. Mark Blatt, uh, who I consider him as a dad to me here in the United States, uh, and Josh Singer, who wrote the movie called Spotlight. He won the Oscar, actually, for Spotlight. This is an amazing team who they don't care just about the story, but they really, really care about Yemen. They really want to help the voice of Yemenis to go also into, into the cinema industry. And they want also the impact of interface. They want people, when they see the movie, they understand that the four people who helped me out, 
they didn't have any military experience in what's going on in Yemen in the war. They didn't know how to save someone to escape from Al-Qaeda or Houthis. They didn't know even how, what's Shia, what's Sunnah. They needed to just trust that there is a human being need help. And they trust themselves that I can do it. You know how they helped me out? They helped me out just by using social media. They literally start posting on their, on their Facebook. I, I remember like the first post they did about me is that, does anyone know how we can help someone from Yemen? I mean, for God's sake, this was the first post they did. I remember when they asked me actually, one of their first question, uh, Daniel Bing, who's like who lives in New York, he asked me, he said, Muhammad, what's your address? I said, well, I live in this neighborhood in Yemen. And he said like, yeah, yeah, but what's your building number? And I said, oh my God, he doesn't know anything about Yemen because in Yemen, we don't have numbers for buildings. We only have buildings. And can you imagine, it took, it took them 13 days to be able to do a military operation, to be able to help me out to escape from the war in Yemen and to be here. That's the fact about it. And I hope when the movie is out, people will be motivated to help others. I'm not a unique story. If you think really that I am a unique story, I respect your opinion, but I really think that there is 27 million Yemenis who are still back in the war. We will need to hear their stories. They have an amazing stories to tell. And I hope this, this movie will give the, the chance for them also to tell their stories. Mohammed, you know, you're the first person I'm, I think I met from Yemen. And so I love all the Yemenis I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure I'd love the others too. But I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to God that I met you. I know that you have a friend uh, who's, who's in a little trouble right now, who's having some trouble in, in the Middle East. And, you know, it's so terrible to see people suffering under, under the weight of prejudice, their own prejudices, like you said, in Yemen. Mm -hmm. So to your friend who's hurting today, my prayers go out and mm -hmm. for them and their family. Um, you know, I, I really, every person matters. Those 27 million people in Yemen matter, people in Egypt matter, people in every country, in Iran, in, in, you know, and there's a lot of trouble in the Middle East right now. It's not just in Yemen, in Syria, there's other countries. And so, you know, I, I'm glad that people have gotten to hear your story. I, I love what you're doing. And I love, you know, Mohammed, we don't even ask, we, we, you and I don't even have to ask what the solution is. You are the solution. Your, your heart and your work, this interfaith work, this is the solution. We need to love each other. I just want to say a big thank you once again, Mohammed, Steve, being able to come and share with all of us um, a little bit about Humanity Rising more for all of our first time viewers out here. Um, Humanity Rising's signature movement is bullying and Humanity Rising is a student-led movement to create a better world through service. And we truly believe that young pa um, people have the power to do this. So we want to support and empower them to do so. I'm also extremely excited to announce our next National Scholarship Challenge um, in the theme of diversity and inclusion is hashtag get to know me. Essentially students will be posting about times where they've faced positive experiences with diversity and how that's influenced them. So be sure to check that out on our Humanity Rising website and our social medias at humanity.rising and at what cause inspires you and join in on our interview to be able to be eligible for service scholarships um, and attend more podcasts like these. We definitely want youth to become their best selves through service and becoming upstanders to end bullying and become a part of something greater 
than themselves through spiritual empowerment. So once again, thank you all for coming and thank you, Muhammad and Steve for leading this. You can all see right now why I love Muhammad so much. And it was such a pleasure to have him. He's always, he's always a pleasure to be around and uh, you should check out Abrahamic House and see what he's done there. That's kind of cool as well. So thank you for spending time with us. Have, have a good night, everybody.